Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you Thursday, August 6th. Two up, two down for the Magic out on Disney property. They fall to the Raptors last night. And uh, two Eastern Conference heavyweights coming up here. We got the Philadelphia 76ers on Friday. We got the Boston Celtics on Sunday. And to preview both of those games, who better than Max Letterman? Celtics content and NBC Sports Boston. He grew up a Philadelphia 76ers fan. He's on Twitter at Max underscore Letterman. That's L-E-D-E-R. M-A-N. Max, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, Jake? I'm good, man. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Uh, literally seven minutes ago, we got a tweet about your favorite basketball team, not the one you cover, the one you root for, um, regarding one Ben Simmons and an injury that I had never heard of. I'm pretty sure the entire state of Pennsylvania is Googling the word subluxation right now. Uh, the MRI came back clean yesterday on Ben Simmons' left knee. But the diagnosis today is a subluxation of the left patella, which I guess you and I were just talking off air is sort of uh, like a dislocation. And from what I'm reading, and obviously none of this is official, it sounds like a dislocation, but then it pops back into place. Um, You're seeing anywhere from four to six weeks as far as rehab goes. So this throws the Sixers uh, playoff picture and really everything kind of up into the air. Your reaction as a Sixers fan, Max, and then I know you have a little bit of insight. I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot um, for your medical diagnosis, but what, do you what do you know anything about what the word subluxation means? Well, uh, I luckily um, I live with a athletic training major at Northeastern University, my wife, uh, and she does not practice athletic training. Uh, you know, she's uh, works in financial intelligence um, at a bank, but. Uh, I asked her what that word meant because you know I just saw that right before I got on here and I ran in there and asked her uh, and she basically said exactly what you said that it was a you know dislocation of the kneecap um, and that the swelling and the you know that you worry about the tendons and things like that and then I told her that the MRI was clean which was reported last night uh, and she said that that's a positive sign but she said this close to the end of the season that might not matter um, she also said she has you know no idea in terms of re- rehab now and all that stuff uh, she's not an expert but she knew what the word meant. Um, so that was important, but yeah, it's not great. It's really not great. And, you know, it, it gets us back to where, uh, the Sixers were, you know, before the quarantine where they were without Ben, uh, and it looked like it was going to be, you know, basically for the rest of the season. Um, there were some people that thought maybe he could have been healthy for like the second round of the playoffs with that back injury. But, you know, that was, I was kind of counting him out. So, you know, here we are again. Um, it was kind of, you know, one of the silver linings, if you can really have one for a global pandemic, was that, you know, the Sixers were going to be healthy um, or the potential to be healthy, and here we go. Uh, that's not going to be the case, clearly. But, you know, you know, watching the first couple games, you know, Ben had a good first game, um, but, you know, it didn't really, uh, didn't really matter uh, because they lost. But then, um, uh, you know, he just he just hasn't looked like himself, and I wonder if the knee was bothering him, or if it was still the back. He just, you know, not really a threat. Maybe it's the position change. They have Shake Milton um, starting at the point guard position, and Ben moved to the four. Where you know, if you're not going to be a threat to shoot, um, and you're you know, you're not really useful at all in the half court. It's it's kind of perplexing. But you know, I Shake's a pick and roll ball handler, uh, and you know, he's a good shooter, can pull up. So, you know, I think that's a smart move to get shaken in the lineup. I don't know if I want Ben off, off ball that much, but at, at this point it doesn't matter. So, you know, the Sixers have – the point I'm trying to make is that the Sixers have actually looked better with Ben on the bench 
He was mm-hmm. in foul trouble two games ago, and then he was out yesterday after suffering the injury. And, you know, I felt like they've looked better. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to be the case. You know, they're going to they're gonna be a better team with, you know, the future, you know, potential star uh, on the court with, you know, the already star in Joel Embiid. So um, it's a tough blow. It's a tough blow. And uh, I think it's it sucks for someone like Brett Brown who – you know, I don't think he's a great coach, but I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people think he is. But mm. now he's going to go through, you know, into another playoffs with, you know, a thrown together roster again, a, a roster that really didn't fit to begin with. But at least he had basically one team all year this year. And the year before he had basically three different teams that he took into the playoffs and they got to that seventh game versus Toronto. And, you know, they're that weird bounce away from going to overtime and who knows what happens after that. So, uh, but it sucks for Brett now because one of your your main keys, your second best player, is is out. Does it? It almost feels like we're always waiting for everything to to fall into place with that team and that roster. Whether it's the injuries, whether it's you know Ben's jumper is coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's going to get there at some point. Whether it's you know give it one more year for Joel and Bed to to really figure it out. I, you know Horford, where does he fit into things? Yes, there's been drastic changes to the roster over the last what year or two, but does it feel like maybe like this, like this is going to be a referendum on the future as far as you know? We don't know how long Ben will be out, but if you win the first round series um, without him, or if you get further, whatever, if you look better without him, can you see this being you know the 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 nail in the coffin as far as that pairing goes, or even just as far as this roster goes? moving forward or do you think they'll sort of sit on their hands a little bit and say we got to see what this looks like when everybody is is in there and healthy and and we don't have a global pandemic going on or whatever well you know there's what they will do and what they should do uh and they for sure won't do what they should do um <laughs> because they've proven that time and time again uh going back to ever since jerry colangelo uh got named you know overlord of that franchise and just completely you know, ruined the karma, I think, uh, at least for the fans, you know, that they had, you know, or like the support that they had from the fans. Uh, And, you know, it's just been one bad decision after another. Uh, So even the good choices that they've made, um, you know, the the good signings, the good picks and things like that just get completely overshadowed. You know, you know, number one, when, you know, Brian Colangelo uh, left the organization, they, they hired Elton Brand. And, you know, I like Elton. Sure, but it, that team with those assets at that time should not have been given to a first-time general manager. It should have been they should have gone after uh, Griffin or anyone that was on the market that had experience before or some someone that had more than one year in the G League front office uh, as experience. And you know, the move to get Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, that was great. It was a good trade. They, you know, I was happy at the time, ironically, that they had, didn't have to give up uh, Markel Foltz because I didn't want them to give up that early. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I obviously ended up being a little bit wrong about that. But, you know, we could talk about him in a little bit. But, uh, you know, and then just then the Tobias Harris trade, just trading literally everything you had for that one year last year. And then, you know, basically trading your, yourself into a corner where you have to bring Tobias back um and overpay him but you know Tobias isn't necessarily a problem you know and you guys had him down there in Orlando he's a really you know really good teammate good leader uh he's a bucket getter you know he's he's okay defensively he's a big guy 
Um, but really, Al Horford signing to me is the one that's really just going to put them back because, mm. you know, it just never made sense, ever. It just was not, like, I get, like, great, you get this, you know, one of the few people that can defend Embiid uh, and you take him away from a, a division rival uh, and you put him on your team. So that's great. But he doesn't really fit at all. Um, and he didn't, you know, he's a good shooter for a big, but that doesn't mean he's J.J. Redick. Right. So he doesn't, uh, you know, we'll see what happens now because him and him and Joe have played well together uh, in the bubble. But it really is just, uh, well, I think to get back to what you asked, I think what they'll, hopefully what they'll do is they'll keep the players together, but they're for sure, I think, going to move on from Brett Brown. Mm. Um, I don't know what coaches out there that could, that could get those two to fit together, but maybe just getting somebody that's um, a new voice that can kind of just get with Ben and say, look, I have no sort of uh, prior relationship. I have no, you know, hopefully he'll be empowered, whoever this coach is, uh, to have this kind of power to say, look, if you don't shoot threes, you're just not going to play. Like, it's a thing where you can't just say, I'm going to wait until over the summer when I feel comfortable and come back to a new season and just be a shooter all of a sudden. You know, Kevin Love, uh, years ago, we asked him when Jared Sullinger uh, in Boston had just started shooting threes, and Kevin Love was on the Timberwolves, and uh, we asked him at the time, you know, do you have any advice for Jared Sullinger? He's trying to kind of model his game after you. And he said, don't wait till the summer. Like, just shoot in games now. If you are la- if you have the green light, if you're an o- open, the game pr- reps are so important. And I just wish someone would tell Ben Simmons that. Like, it's so important to just, just start doing it. Like, Jason Tatum is someone that, you know, we used to just, you know, last season uh, especially, you know, these like mid-range shots, you know, a lot of these like drives. I'm like, what are you doing? You're so inefficient at that. But it was smart. And the coaching staff was letting him do it because they knew like he needs to practice this and he right. can't practice uh you know, against his teammates or by himself, like he needs in-game reps doing these things that will make him a better shooter or a, a better score. And look what's happened this year. He's become, you know, close to, I would say, you know, he's approaching a top 10 player. I don't think he's there yet, but, you know, he's certainly flashing. Um, so the in-game reps are so important. And unless Ben does that, you know, it's, he's tall Rondo. He's tall Rondo, like yep. everyone said he was. It's funny. I, I think what Stan was saying recently on one of the telecasts. So when you look at young Stan Van Gundy, when you look at young players, coaches like to see a couple one for twelves, one for thirteens in a row, just because they know that that they're willing to pull. Um, they're willing to keep shooting on nights when they don't necessarily have it. And you're right. Like with Ben, it's it's almost just as important that he's will that that the shot is going to go up regardless of the result. Um, you keep defenses a lot more honest if there's just that. That, that extra step, that extra sort of element of gravity um, where, where, where guys know I need to get out at, at this guy. I need to close out on this guy. Um, sometimes it's just the willingness to shoot the damn ball is, is even the more important part than the result. Yeah. It's the, it's the, the there's value in the attempt a hundred percent. And it's not like he doesn't have the freedom to fail. They've told him over and over again, just shoot. Like we don't care if it goes in, it's important and he still won't do it. But, you're absolutely right. Like these guys, a lot of them, um, you know, if they went to college or, you know, I don't think this was maybe hammered home in AAU. I never played AAU, so I don't know. But like, I'm sure in the pros, they're, they're just hammered their whole life to, if you see a shooter, close out, put your arms up. You know, even if your coach before the game tells you, if Ben Simmons is on the perimeter and is going to shoot, you better let him. Don't even react. There's that instinct, that that split second, like you were talking about, that little 
itty bit of gravity uh, that could open up a passing lane uh, or just make a defender freeze in, in place for half a second and you can get the jump on him. It's like there's just, uh, you know, Marcus Smart's a great example of this. He was one of the worst shooters in NBA history the first three years of his career, but he still shot because the defenders still treated him like he was an average shooter. Right. There's just, it's just weird that somebody, if you step into your shot that confidently, you can't trick your brain to not defend them. And, and he's proof of that. And now he's, he's a league average three point shooter uh, because he was able to get those misses and not be negative. He was an, always a net positive because of his defense. And he was not as much of a drag on the offense as people thought. And now he's a positive on both ends. So, I mean, there's, there's lessons all over the league like that. And it really, um, it's, it's upsetting and concerning that someone with those gifts that Ben Simmons has and, you know, who tries to say the right things has not come back from any offseason better at shooting or better at free throws even. Like, that's why when people say, like, oh, if he, if he gets a jump shot, I'm like, he's just never going to have a jump shot unless maybe he switches hands because he really, he makes choices to, sh- to shoot with his right hand in in so many situations where you're like, if you were really left-handed, you would not have chosen to use your right hand. But, right. And he shoots like he's a, he's a right-handed person shooting left hand. Right. And it, it just, I can never envision that shot going in consistently. Cause like when it goes in, it never feels like, man, that was a beautiful shot. I mean, it's like, well, he got lucky there, especially at the free throw line. They never look like they're going in. Um, and that to me is when I'm, you know, I spend my, you know, my, my, life covering the Celtics I see you know a player like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who mm-hmm. has just every single like incremental throughout his career you can just see the hours of work they put into it it's just it's evidence of his work ethic and it's almost like a, a bit like Kawhi where it looks a little uh it looks it's not like robotic in a bad way but it just looks practiced like Steph Curry used to have like certain dribble moves where it you know, like that doesn't look like he's like Kyrie, who's just kind of like reacting to the defender. That looks like a move that he practices over and over and over again. And Jalen is like that with his lefty finishing and just his finishing inside in general. And it makes it even worse to watch someone like Ben Simmons then because I'm like, man, I see Jalen, who was so bad at finishing his first, uh, his rookie year, got a little bit better, but it was still, you know, you were impressed by him, his ability to get to the rim. But you saw his hands just like he was just flinging that ball off the backboard way too hard. But he has touch now. And it's it just it's proof that if you work hard enough, you can get better at things. And it's especially in a city like Philadelphia, I there's just they're going to run out of patience if they haven't already uh, for someone who just seems to be just okay with as good as he is. No, and you know this, like this is going to – Philadelphia is pissed off at everybody right now. <laughs> like, they're pissed off at Ben Simmons' knee. Um, somebody is going to, to be in the, in the crosshairs, um, I would think, coming up quickly. And, it, and look, you, you might have a Boston-Philadelphia first-round matchup. That's how it shakes out right now. Um, that'd be fascinating. I got one more question on the Sixers for you before we move on to Boston. Can you explain to me the home road splits this year? 30 and, and obviously it doesn't matter anymore, but 30 and 2 uh, at home and then 11 and 25 – out on the road, what was that all about? You know, I wish I knew, but I can tell you what I would give more um, credit to is the home crowd. I think that uh, that building, you know, and I've been there for many games uh, throughout my life um, as a kid. And just, you know, when they asked, they used to go to the playoffs in the early 2000s, you know, when you felt like they had a chance, um, 
that building is it rocks when yep. there's a chance when they're competitive um it it's a great home it's as good a home court as you'll find in the nba and that look that's proof with that record that's like a historically great home record <laughs> the road record is just I don't know, man. It's got to be. They're the sixth seed. They went 30 and two at home and they're the sixth seed. Like, like that does not swear. It's insanity. It's really, and I don't know if it's, you know, some guys are just party animals or something on the road or um, I just, I really can't put my finger. It's one of the like hardest things to explain. And I don't think anyone really can uh, that's not in there in that group. And if it, I think if the team knew they would address the issues, it may just be fluky. It may just be weird. Uh, maybe they got some, you know, friendly bounces at home and some unfriendly bounces on the road that kind of made the split even worse. But at that that extreme is just, it's insanity. They're like they're like the '86 Celtics uh, at home and the like 2014 Sixers <laughs> on the road. You know, one of the best teams ever and one of the worst teams ever. So it's like uh, it's pretty. It's it's pretty stark, and you, like you said, it doesn't matter now. But I, you know, I haven't really been paying attention to who's the home, who's listed as the home team. I, you know, it might have some sort of impact just to have your. your... We were talking about that on the broadcast yesterday, right? Like the and, and now you can you can sense them sort of amplifying it, um, the starting lineups, the you know, obviously the Zoom crowd, and just sort of the the noise in the building. Like we've been doing the broadcast remotely from Amway Center. Um, and so, you know, from a radio perspective, I'm sitting there listening to the mix and through the scrimmages and now into these seating games, you can tell that they're doing some tweaks and they're trying to make it sound and feel a little bit more like an arena. I was wondering, I was wondering that, like, if, if it means anything, like Nick Vucevic was talking about the scrimmages and he said, even when he said by the third scrimmage game against Denver, they started pumping in more home noise. It's my daughter. They started pumping in more home noise. Um, and it was it was a away game for the Magic. It was a Denver home game, and literally, like it helped him focus just because there was something happening. It didn't matter that it was anti Magic or or pro Magic. Um, the first two scrimmages, he stepped to the free throw line, and you could hear a pin drop in there, and it threw him off. He missed he missed the free throw, and he was like, "This is really weird." So I do wonder. Like I think there might be something to. Um, being the home team and and i would think that the league probably wants to try to figure out a way to make it some sort of an advantage right right yeah and i think the free throw shooting uh is is going to be maybe one of the places where it's going to be hard to kind of replicate that yeah um you know because either if you're home or away just you know the crowd in general is going to be something that you hear when everybody else is quiet you know is when you're playing in the actual flow of the game you know guys are yelling uh coaches are saying stuff but the free throw line is really where it's going to be stark and as you know just for us you know watching at home uh, or watching at the arena um for your broadcast um it's it looks and feel and sounds a lot like a normal game like if you don't think about it, it you kind of just gloss over it until there's a really big play right. until there's like a big block or just like some a momentum swinging type play um where the crowd would have reacted, you know, a lot differently than the 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 piped in noise, which I've honestly been impressed that they've been kind of trying to match it as best they can. Um, I'd love to see like how they're doing it because that that's kind of like I'm just kind of nerdy about stuff like that. Like that's just a cool uh, setup that they have, but there's no way that you can replicate that. And also, you know, 
it's human nature. The refs react to that stuff too. And I'm sure that they're, you know, I have to look at the stats uh, through the game so far, but I know that in, uh, I think it was Bundesliga when they were one of the first sports to come back. Right. The, um, at least through the first like four weeks, there was like no home, home field advantage anymore. Um, so that's, that's a factor. And that and it really is one of those, you know, when you're thinking about seeding, it's not necessarily about home court anymore. It's really just about, you know, the bracket, you know, in the Eastern conference, it's really about when do you, when would you like to play Milwaukee? You know, would you like to play them early and have an easier first round opponent? Or would you like to play them later and have a harder first round opponent? Like this, the case for the Celtics where it's like, do you want, you know, to have that tough matchup with the Sixers in the first round, but then you wouldn't have to potentially face the Bucks until the, the conference finals. Or would you want to go down to the four, um, have a, you know, a Pacers or, a, you know, I guess it would be the Pacers in this situation matchup. And then, you know, you, you have to play the Bucks in the second round. So it's, to me, I would, you know, I think you try to avoid the, the hardest team for as long as you can. Um, but, or, I mean, you just try to play good and see where the cards fall. But it's you know, it's such a weird dynamic with them being in a bubble down there. But it's also, you know, it's cool and it seems like it's working. That's an interesting point about the refs. I hadn't even really even thought about that. Um, we know, obviously, that it, it does make a difference, all things considered, uh, when everything's normal. And, and we'll see if it does moving forward. The... Raptors are kind of like the new hotness, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they're, they're playing great basketball. They're defending champs. They've won seven in a row. But it kind of feels like Boston is sort of flying under the radar right now in the Eastern Conference. People are, um, people are, I guess, kind of doubting Milwaukee just based on what we've seen down here. I'm not sure that's fair. But it feels like the Celtics can, can maybe sort of sneak in there. Um, look, I'm sure they're not under the radar in Boston or, or in your world. Um, but how are they playing right now? Where are they at? They put 149 points on the board last night, graded against the, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, what are the vibes like? Um, the vibes are kind of like still trying to figure it out because yeah. uh, they've looked good at times and then they've looked really bad at times. And it's still like as good as they were last night. It was the Nets. Kemba wasn't playing. They're trying to, uh, you know, make him as fresh as possible for when the playoffs start. So he's been on a minutes restriction and he was also out uh, since the all-star break, um, you know, even before the quarantine, excuse me. So, you know, he was only around for a little bit of the Tatum world that we all live in now, the Ascension. Um, He did play a couple games uh, because Tatum really popped off starting January 11th. He had his career high against the Pelicans, and from that point on, I think he's averaging like, you know, 27 points a game. He's like six in the NBA. Um, I haven't run the bubble numbers, but uh, when we were on our break, I spent a lot of time looking at that stuff. And um, and Kemba did come back and play for uh, – and did, was playing in a lot of those games uh, before the All-Star break. And so uh, – and he he was so graceful and just like, yeah, like we're just trying to win. If, if I need to take a, a – backseat to this young stud then for sure as long as we're winning and it was working out um they haven't really seemed the to have a great flow on offense um the during the bubble of course last night they dropped 149 so uh the numbers are going to look great but um brad uh brad stevens said he's not really necessarily worried about the offense because he's liking the shots that they're getting they're just missing um it's really the defense that had kind of let them down uh, in the first couple of games. 
And maybe that's just something that they just need to get back on the same page with each other. Uh, it's been a long time off. And, uh, you know, they have a great defensive team. They have great defenders, uh, you know, most of their positions. Uh, and as long as they're locked in and focused, and maybe that's been kind of an issue, and that's sort of what Brad's been saying, is like the focus on defense has been lacking a little bit. Um, that's where I would really worry. But, you know, it's going to be hard to tell with um, – you know, Kemba didn't play last night. I think they're going to increase his minutes as they uh, as they get to the end of these games here, and he should be fully ready to go. And that's exciting because even when he had games where he was struggling, Kemba was a fourth quarter stud. I mean, uh, he doesn't have the legend of the king of the fourth like Isaiah Thomas did when he was you know running the show a couple of years ago. But he's been uh, he's been a killer in in late games and a hero for them uh, since the very beginning of the season. And I want to see Cardiac Kemba in the playoffs with, you know, with like a team that actually can compete. And so we'll see. I think there's been a lot of positive things uh, with the Celtics. You know, Tatum had an awful shooting night against Milwaukee in their first game in the bubble. But he's, you know, he's had a couple. Then he got his haircut, right? And that was that. Yeah, he got his haircut. And that's, he always, that's your analysis from your Orlando Magic Radio producer. Yeah, absolutely. The haircut <laughs> and, and now he's, he's back to being great again. But the, uh, the shooting came back. Uh, after that one bad game uh he's in his bag he his handle was a little weird last night uh he just kept losing the ball but uh i think he only had ended up with three turnovers but uh he had one play where he lost his handle twice re- got the ball back and then just said screw it and just did a just a filthy step back three mm-hmm. and that step back three is it's it it i'm sure it's not if i look up the stats as consistent as james harden's but it sure feels like it it feels like it goes in at a high enough clip because man whenever he does that i'm like i just it just feels like it's like when curry would pull up from almost half court and you're like that's probably going in that's how it feels like with tatum he's his step back is just so butter um and again it's another one of those examples of of someone who put the work in just since he was like 11 has just been working and working great footwork and um, and he's, he's starting to become a bit more of a passer. He had eight assists career high the other night. Um, him and him and Jalen Brown both scored 30 points for the second time in their career uh, the other night. And it's, it's an exciting young team. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they play, but uh, if it's a Philly matchup, like I know a lot of people in Boston are worried about the Philly matchup as a Sixers fan. I'm like, don't worry. You know, just don't. Cause yeah, but that's I, I'm not sure even that's fair for you. As a Sixers fan, you you think you're going to lose all, all the time and everybody's going to get hurt. Yeah, 100%. You're probably still just pissed that Hinky's not the general manager anymore. A, a little bit, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to lie about that. I'll be very I'm from very Cleveland, honest. Max, so I have the same scars, right? Like, if, if you're ever worried about the Browns, I, I will be the one to tell you not to worry about the Browns. Right, exactly. It's one of those things it's where until they're, until they're up there <laughs> holding the Larry O'Brien trophy, I'm going to think that they're going to lose. But I do think that um, the Sixers looked great against the Celtics early in the season, um, like the first game of the season. And then in uh, December, I think in January was the other one where Embiid just went off. Um, and look, and the argument from Celtics fans is like, well, we have no one to cover Embiid. And I'm always like, well, who does? Like, right. can you tell me exactly who that is? Uh, maybe Milwaukee, the Lopez's have actually done a really good job on Joe, but um, it's, it's really just about, I think, in a seven-game series where you've got an equal amount of talent. Maybe the matchups aren't, you know, ideal for you if you're a Celtics fan. But, like, I think the Brad Stevens is the, is the difference maker versus, uh, you know, Brett Brown. It's like 
come on, what are we doing here? Brad, I've seen his evolution as a playoff coach since, you know, the first year when they got swept by the Cavs, um, when they really shouldn't even have made the playoffs. You know, and then the next year they had a really awful matchup where he went up against Bud and Atlanta, uh, and I think they lost in six. But you could see him kind of making, you know, moves. It was like a chess game between right. him and Bud, and, and Bud had three moves and Brad only had two, and so that's why the Hawks end up winning, and they also just had a – a roster that was built to beat the Celtics. Um, and then Brad uh, really, I thought grew that year that uh, the hospital Celtics year where um, Irving and um, Irving and uh, Hayward were out and, and he just had an answer for anything that uh, the opposing coaches had uh, all the way up until game seven of the conference finals against LeBron. So um, I would give the edge to the the Celtics in a seven game series against Brett Brown. I mean, who wouldn't? I was in Cleveland that year, and that was uh, such an impressive coaching job he did during that series. Um, you guys probably should have won that series if the Celtics should have. Hey, what, what is the rotation going to look like? Will it be matchup based? Will he try to limit it? Um, there's so many guys, and obviously, you know, right now you're getting looks at guys who probably, you know, Romeo Langford is not going to be part of the rotation. I don't think he played 26 minutes last night, but. Will it be an eight-man, nine-man? Is, is my boy, the Time Lord, going to get in there? What's going on with the, um, with the bench? How do you expect it to look? You know, I, I think if they're healthy, I don't, you know, I, I don't, you, it would be bad if Time Lord's playing, I think, because, right. you know, that means that somebody's hurt, and Ennis Cantor or Tice is hurt. Uh, you know, Grant Williams didn't play a ton last night either, which was kind of uh, curious, because I thought he was someone that could really uh, improve his stock in the bubble. Yeah. And uh, – and get some rotation minutes, but Brad really trusts Shemi Ojale to uh, to play a big position. And look, he started in the playoffs versus the Bucks in a series that they won a couple of years ago because right. he's just a really strong dude who can get in the way of Giannis uh, and not foul him. But that was before Giannis was an MVP and gets every single call, um, which is just the the nature of the beast. Um, I'm not trying to sound bitter here, but uh, you know, it, so Shemi. Uh, Honestly, I didn't think he looked that great last night, but he's a guy that I think will be in the rotation just because he's got he's got the reps, he's got the experience. Um, and Grant would be the other guy that I would say maybe, you know, depending on how Brad feels, obviously. I think Grant is a really good defender. He's smart. He's like a forward version of Marcus Smart, um, and he's a great screen setter. Um, but I think it'll the, the rotation, it, it shouldn't go nine. Um, I think you'll get a, you know, you're, you're, if you're going to play a center, it'll be Tice and then Cantor, uh, and hopefully they're not in foul trouble. And if they are, then then maybe he'll have Grant um, play the five, although he's just completely undersized for that. And but isn't but Grant feels like a guy you can say, okay, you're going to play a huge role in this series, and then the next series you're like, sorry, I don't have a matchup for you, and that he's he is mature enough that's not going to mess him up. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's a great point. Um, he's a really mature guy, and he and he's smart, and I do think that the layoff. Uh, helped some of the younger guys yeah uh, because they were you know the rookie wall you know was probably just just pounding them uh right at the start of the the quarantine and now they're all rested they're focused there's probably spent a lot of time looking at film because it's really all they could do um and you know we'll see it was nice to see time lord play well last night uh his issues are always um just choices that he makes on the court. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that you can just have a good game versus the Nets and your coaches are going to start believing in you. That's something that you got to build on. And you game experience is all that can, 
it's all he needs really to become, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Clint Capella type is just reps, you know, and who knows if he ever reaches those guys' heights, but uh, that's the impact he can have. But he just has been hurt his whole career, um, you know, one thing or another, and it's not his fault. It's just unlucky. But now that he's healthy, you, you, he flashes and you're like, man, if only, you know, this guy was healthy during the season and, you know, he could be a real difference maker. And I think they were kind of hoping that. Uh, Tice has been, a, uh, I don't want to say a revelation because he was really good his first year then he yeah. tore his ACL and was not great last year. Um, but this year he's been really, really, really solid. He's hitting threes. You know, Cantor's been, you know, Cantor's a, a guy that Brad will play matchups with. Um, he'll, he's a guy like Grant where it's like, he won't even play some games, uh, you know, or he'll get in a little bit and you're like, oh man, I forgot he was, you know, on the team. What the heck? Right. Uh, and then some games, you know, like he started the first game of the season, you know, like some games will be, uh, the main big, uh, because Tice, I think Brad knows, uh, has a good familiarity with him in certain games. You can just see that, or Brad can see, cause I can't, I'm not that smart, but Brad can see that Tice is just outmatched and he'll play like six minutes in the first quarter and then you won't see him again. You know, what happened? Did he get hurt? And no, it's just like the mat. He was just getting beat on certain things that Brad can see. He's like, you know, we need Ennis in there or maybe we go small. We put, uh, you know, a Shemi or a Grant uh, in. So it, I think it will be, it'll be matchup based, but um, I don't think it'll be too deep of a rotation. I think, you know, Brad Wanamaker has been solid as a third point guard, but when he's forced to be the second point guard, when Kemba has been out, you know, that, that there's more opportunity for him, uh, his failings to kind of impact the game. But, uh, you know, I think if he's playing more than like six or seven minutes in, in these games, that's probably not a good omen for the Celtics. What are you, are you worried about the Lakers? Um, I'm interested to see what, I didn't read uh, the article I saw. Uh, I just saw the headline today that came out that said LeBron was hinting at some some locker room issues that that's bug that are bothering them. Yeah, Joe Varden and the Atlantic. Yeah, and I just didn't, I didn't have my athletic login on my uh on my Chromebook. I have it on my laptop, so that's the only reason I didn't read it. Um, but it was uh, um, that's an interesting thing. That's concerning. Uh, if you're a Lakers fan, I uh, as a Sixers fan and someone who covers the Celtics, love to see it. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and I, I, my hatred for the Lakers is because they beat uh, Iverson and our boys in 2001. Sure. But, uh, you know, and I hold grudges. And, and you know, and it helps covering the Celtics. But, you know, it, they were really good. They were a really good team. And, you know, they've, they've taken some hits. Uh, they don't have Rondo, who wasn't great for them, but still it's just a guy that is incredibly intelligent um, I, and, you know, reportedly has become a great leader. Um, you know, in his later years and then, you know, missing a guy like Avery who again may not have had, actually, I'm not sure what his shooting numbers were this year. I know he'd been better than he'd been in uh, the past two years, but you know, just a solid one-on-one defender, um, an option for them. You know, that's, that's two big losses there um, for your guard rotation. And that means you're going to lean on guys that you wouldn't plan on leaning on. And I don't know what the locker room stuff could be, but I know that they were, uh, you know, Avery and Dwight Howard and Kyrie were like the main voices that were against the, uh, the restart to begin with. And, you know, I'm not sure what Dwight's reasons were, but I know that, you know, and Kyrie, uh, his were, you know, social justice motivated. Um, so that's, that's a valiant 
you know, message and all that stuff. And Avery, obviously, with his son, uh, has a, a compromised immune system. So he was not going to be able to come to the bubble if they advance far. And I commend him for that choice. And I think that, you know, I think the Lakers themselves, those guys, you know, want to win for Avery and all that stuff. But there's something something going on in that locker room. Uh, I mean, you have more experience covering LeBron. I feel like he's usually pretty good at, you know, the, there's always like grumblings like this, but at the end of the day, he's in the finals. So it's like. Yeah. Really- and it's, they're so top heavy. That's the whole thing. Like I've been saying all year, you know, when it matters, they're going to have the two best players on the floor. And typically that's, that's what wins the series. And then, you know, maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment, but I'm sitting there watching Toronto last night and over the last couple of games and I'm going, you know, I'll take their top seven over anybody else's top seven. And then I start to think to myself, you know, who, who is going to last the longest in what is admittedly a very strange um, set of circumstances here? It's going to be the teams that are familiar with each other and are comfortable with each other and are well-coached and are able to sort of pace themselves and, and have that depth where, you know, if Lowry don't have it going, it's Van Vliet. If he doesn't have it going, it's Siakam. If, if LeBron has an off night, that team is screwed. And so – you know, and, and if you're relying on Kyle Kuzma or whoever to be your floor spacer, that's that's trouble as well. I just I, I don't want to back away and say, oh, you know, you play poorly in three games. Um, I'm picking somebody else to win to win the finals or to win the conference. But but boy, depth is going to be so important, especially if we start to see, you know, some hammy polls or, or God forbid, a few positive tests here. And I don't, I don't think we're going to actually. Um, I, I think we're kind of through the, the worst part of it, but knock on wood. Um, I guess I, they, they have such a, a slimmer margin of error compared to even the Clippers. Um, and then I think about teams like Toronto and even Boston, where it's like, you know, we're not so overly reliant on one or two players. We can get it from different places and different nights. I just have to think that's going to, it's going to bear out. Yeah. And let's, let's just throw it out there. I'm going to throw this out there. You know, Anthony Davis is a great player. He puts up numbers every single year, but does he impact winning? Like, that's my issue is that you look at, you know, I haven't looked in a while, but I remember, you know, midway through the season, it was like LeBron was the one that was that was carrying the Lakers to wins. And Davis has phenomenal stats, but his on-off-the-court stuff is kind of just like they're, they're fine with him on the court and they're fine with him off the court. And I don't know. I don't watch every game, so I can't really read into those stats. They're just stats. There could be a lot of reasons. A lot of – I don't know what their – you know, the flow of their rotation is. Um, but, you know – Again, he's always put up great numbers, and, he, you know, he's made the playoffs, what, once um, before the season. So it's like um, maybe that's the issue is that, you, you know, you'll have two of the best players, but only one of them is the guy that's, that's the winner. And, um, and Davis – and may, that shouldn't matter. If it, but like you said, when the rest of your team is, you know, especially when you had to sign some guys because you lost players, um, you know, you got the J.R. Smith of the world and the Deion Waiters who haven't played in forever um coming in and and maybe look that's a volatile combo there too you know like maybe some of the locker issues some of the new guys they brought in sure or the guy who doesn't believe in wearing masks and and just seems like he's on his own planet um at all times it is a very strange mix i would think within that locker room now we we, you and i both know we say all this and they're going to be in the conference finals and we're going to be saying uh, i've been telling you all along uh, don't doubt LeBron. I, I said last night, I literally said after we got off the air last night, I'm doubting LeBron. I'm starting to think that there might be problems here. And I like caught myself. I couldn't even get it out. Like you don't doubt LeBron. Let him prove me wrong before I actually start doing that. But 
um, yeah, I don't know. Everything is so unique right now. It's going to be, it's going to be really cool to watch that bear out out in the Western Conference. Um, I've already taken up way too much of your time. I really appreciate it. He's Max Letterman. He's on Twitter at under, uh, Max underscore Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N-M-B-C Sports Boston. Uh, Max, always a pleasure to do it. I appreciate it. Have fun the rest of the way. We'll catch up soon, okay? Thanks, Jake. I really appreciate it. It's always fun coming on. All right, man. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Jake Chapman. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Have a great and a very safe week, everybody. <laughs>